so I should say thank you, I suppose, for coming to church this evening. And I suppose, I guess, whatever's said lasts longer in our hearts than a quick flash and a bang at 30 quid worth of fireworks. But, but yeah, so it's lovely to see you all and so many of you here tonight as well, particularly. Just talking earlier, funny enough, that um, we used to have seasons, very distinct seasons, and summer would slowly merge into autumn, autumn would slowly merge into winter, but now it seems sort of, bang, suddenly it's gone really cold. And suddenly it's, it's not well, nearly autumn, but it's pretty much winter. And we've already had summer. And it's all very, very quick, and it changes so, so quickly. I was thinking um, not so long, we've sort of recently celebrated harvest. This isn't um, anything about harvest, I'm not going to go over all the ground. But harvest is obviously traditionally a time where we sort of come together and we reflect on the goodness of God and all his provision and his blessing and all that he's given us. And then we go away and we think, well, yeah, that was then. That was a lovely point in history. You know, farmers used to be awfully thankful for their crops, and it was all very lovely. I used to think like that as well. All the way through primary school, we'd have our big sort of harvest festival, and it was all very sort of theoretical. And it wasn't until um, my parents moved away to a fairly rural community on the south coast, and it was sort of surrounded by farms. And it had massive, massive fields of crops huge, huge fields of massive machinery and all sorts. And harvest was a, a, a real thing, and it's a real thing now. And it, it's basically, the more they can gather and harvest, the better off they are through the winter. So whatever sort of we reflect on at harvest time, it feels a little bit historic and a little bit sort of woolly, I suppose, but it is, plays a very real part in the world today. Um, I say this to say, we come to these things flippantly sometimes. We come to harvest and we think, yeah, that's nice. We reflect on what the Lord's given us. We come to Easter, and we're full of joy. Yeah, the Lord's risen, hooray. And then Easter Monday, or Bank Holiday Monday, or whatever it might be, is saying we're bang, we're back into the world again. We come to Christmas. Oh, it's fantastic Christmas. You know, birth of Christ, everything's wonderful. Boxing Day, oh, when, when, you know, when do we go back to work? You know, it's, it's that type of thinking. Do we spend time reflecting, I wonder? Do we spend enough time reflecting at harvest on what God's given us, what God gives us today, and what God does for us today. Do we spend enough time, I wonder, reflect at Christmas time on who God is? Yes, he was born in a stable, we know the story, and then we know what the, the chapter and verse of his life. But what does that mean for us here now, today? Does it mean anything at all? Is it still relevant today as it was back then? Or is it just a nice fluffy story we can tell the children? Something to celebrate? A time off work, that type of stuff. Do we still think about Christ at Easter? Do we still ponder at June, July, August that Christ was the first and original lamb for the slaughter? Sounds a bit dramatic, but when you look at it, he's always been depicted as the lamb because he was spotless, he was pure, he was completely and utterly holy, and he was quite literally slaughtered. Are we thankful that God Almighty is who created all things everywhere still has time for us today? Now, this, I, I talk about this over and over again, but I, it still boggles my mind. You, you think of what God created in the world. You think of the world itself as it is right now. You think of all that is, that's been, you know, all you see, all we have, the very, very intricate detail of things like plants and all these wonderful, wonderful things. And yet, the, God, the Lord God who created all that is not just slightly interested in me he's not just ever so slightly wondering where i'm at he loves me with such a passion that he was willing to die 
an awful and dramatic death. But those were my complete. Someone would like me, with all the baggage that I bring, and all the background, and all the sorrows, and all the times I'm running around trying to do things on my own, he still looks on me and says, price paid, job done. Boggles my mind sometimes to think, he does that for others. And I'm sure with the greatest will in the world, there's people out there, certainly for me, where I think, how can God love that person? How can anybody love that person? Look what they've done, look what they're doing. You don't even need to click the telly on to see what sort of world we live in, humanity against humanity, all, all the bad stuff that's going on. How can God love someone who's committing all these atrocities? How can God love someone in the same way he loves me where that person has done such a horrible thing to me or he's done a horrible thing to somebody else? How can that possibly be? Being thankful, thankful for what we are, thankful for who we've got, thankful for where we're coming from, shouldn't just be for a specific time of year. It shouldn't just be for Christmas, just at Easter, just at harvest, just at one point. Being thankful should be for always, always and always. You know, sometimes, you, particularly in the world today, people, you, you should bring them the Bible and say, oh, it's the book of can'ts. You can't do this, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do this. It's a very, very negative view. But actually, you know, there are so many more things than... You know, God says, please stick to these rules. Please stick, stick, follow my ways, do these things. Yes, we're not supposed to go and do things. He doesn't say we can't necessarily. He says you're not supposed to. But there's more to that. There's so much more. There's so much more about being thankful, so much more being about living and, and living how we were supposed to live. Just what we have and who we are, being able to work, even simple things as that. Today, do we take that for granted, I wonder? So don't get me wrong, I have no idea where people are at, I have no idea where they've come from. You might be sat there thinking, well, you don't know this particular, you know, particular valley I'm in, you don't know this particular thing I'm carrying, how can you sit there and say, I've got to be thankful all of the time? Well, it's not me. The Lord says it. Now, there's, there's, you can imagine, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses and loads of different spots and places I thought you could take a reference verse for this. But if you do have your Bibles for you, with you, it's a very, very simple verse, Ephesians 5 verse 20, and I'll, I'll read it a couple of times, which I'll explain shortly, but Ephesians 5, verse 20, and it simply says, giving thanks always for all things and to God the Father in the nature, sorry, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. No more than that. No more than that. And I wonder sometimes, when we come to our devotions, our quiet times, or our peace with the Lord, or whatever it is we, we do, whatever time we spend with God, I wonder how we, we approach our verses. Do we approach the verse right up quick? Beginning of the day, I've got lots to think about. There's loads going on. Right, let's have a look. Oh, we give and thanks always for all things unto God, Father, through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Right, perfect. Thank you, Lord, for today. Are we that type of person? Do we come to the Bible and we think, right... I don't know what I'm going to do today. I don't know what's going to happen. Let me quickly, I've got to find a verse, right? Okay, so giving thanks always for all things unto God and I and the Father and the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So I'm always to be thankful. You see, it's the same verse, but you can have so many different variants. So depending on how you approach it, depending on how you read it, you can have so many different meanings, so many different sort of views on it. And of course, if you're going to read the Bible, read the Bible. Don't take one verse and just try and make it fit with your own circumstance. I'm perhaps as guilty as that of anybody at times. If you're going through particular problems, you don't quickly flick, and there's a verse, that'll, that'll fit. I'll try and focus on that. Put, 
everything in context. Of course, this is, this is one part of a, of a much, much bigger letter to the Ephesians. So what, what's that all about? Well, that's, that's, about, that's about Paul talking about the walk of the believer, how we should approach God, how we should interact with the Lord, how we should be around him. So it's not just about saying, right, oh, I got okay, it's telling me I've got to be thankful all the time. It's saying, well, look, if you read, read the bits before it and the bits after it, it's saying, well, this is how, how God, we should interact with him. This is how we should come before him. We should be thankful as often, as, as much and as possible as we, as we can be. You know, this is very much just one part of a much, much wider message, I suppose. And there's loads of examples, and I'd encourage you to go and find some for yourselves. Um, as I always say, um, you know, don't just take my word for it. Go and reread the verses, go and put them in context, go and look at what, what these verses actually mean. And they may mean different things to different people, and they may take them in different ways. But ultimately, it's the word of God, and that, that's, that's where we should put our focus. All the way through the Psalms. You know, Psalm 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. You know, no matter what David was facing. I mean, again, we're going back to history a little bit, and you may, may think, oh, yeah, that's history, that was then, what about now? But no matter what he was facing, all the way through the, the Psalms, you read about his outpouring of gratitude to God. You know, as he encountered so many different things, good times, bad times, difficult times, David always turned back to the truth of God's promise. God's goodness. And this attitude carried him on through the hardest of situations. There's people in the world today, I mean, I had a, I had a, a couple of messages in the last couple of days from um, some people I sort of went through school with, some old friends from years back when I haven't heard from for a long time. And my immediate thought, oh, great, you know, we should all meet up, get together, let's talk about old times. Then the more the convers conversation is through messaging, but you know what I mean, the more the, the chat went on, the more I was like, well, nothing's changed in their world. They're still struggling with the same things, more so. They haven't really progressed any more than they were 20 years ago. And with the greatest respect to all of them, I don't think I really want to meet up because they're in difficult situations and they're in difficult circumstances, but what a difference. It, it's, it's quite stark for me. I thought, well, if I hadn't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ back in whenever it was, 2000-something at the university, if I hadn't allowed him to touch me and to shape me, I might well have been doing exactly what I was doing back then, right now. I might well have been in a place where I had no, no consideration for the Lord, no understanding, no clarity. You take the, the, you take the Bible to people like this, and they're, they're like, it's meaningless, it's history, it's, it doesn't mean anything. They don't see the relevance in the world today. It shouldn't just be, look at the Psalms, it's, it's full of thankfulness. Look at this verse, it's about praising the Lord. It's not just one person being thankful. It's not just one person being praiseful. One thing that's worked out particularly well. We should try to come to the Lord, be thankful before the Lord, be grateful for the Lord, be grateful for all that we've had as a bit of a habit. We should be developing this more and more and more. Think of bringing up children. You know, you, you try to teach them manners. You try to teach them good morals. And, and what you say, you know, at the table, you know, grace before meals, please, thank you, so forth and so on. But how, how does that come across? It's through repetition. You're doing it all the time. 
and trying to encourage them to think for themselves, but it's repetition, doing it all the time. And this should be no different how we approach the Lord. We should be thankful all the time. And the only way we're going to do that is by repetition. Be thankful for the good times. Be thankful for what the Lord's provided. Be thankful for what the Lord gives us. Be thankful for where we are in the, in the world. But be thankful as well that he carries us when we're in the difficult times. It may be that we, we're walking through these valleys and these, these difficult areas and these troughs in life and these problems are hitting us all over the place. And it's really hard to be thankful. I totally get that. But we're asked to be thankful always, constantly, all the time. So thank you, Lord. Why not pray? Thank you, Lord, that you're with me. Thank you, Lord, that you're carrying me. Thank you, Lord, that you've got this. I think the one message I'd have for the world is, for me, you can approach life in one of two ways. You can go on your own, you can crack on, you can do your own thing. You're probably not going to get very far very quickly. Or you can go with somebody who's with you always. You can go with somebody who's with, beside you and carrying you and directing you and showing you a path always. No matter what's thrown at you, no matter what you come across, no matter what you face, you've got someone who's got your back. You make the choice. It's up to you, sorry. Yeah, do, you want, do, you want some, do you want to be in that place with someone who's supporting you and chasing you along, someone who's got you and understands every single circumstance, or are you going to crack on on your own? You make the choice. Of course, having this consistency, building this habit, trying to come to the Lord with, as often as possible with thanksgiving is really, really hard. And we shouldn't, we've got to be careful how we do it. We don't want to be flippant about it. We don't want to come from a place that's just... I'm doing this because it says here that I have to, or I'm doing this because I feel obliged, or I'm doing this because uh, it feels bad for me not to. We should be doing this because we want to thank the Lord. We acknowledge who he is, we understand what he's provided, we understand what he's given, and we're responding in thankfulness. We're responding in, in unequivocal gratitude. Got to come from a genuine place. And the more we think on this, the more we look on this, the more we understand God's goodness in our lives, the more we see where he's moving, the more we see what he's doing, the more we'll have reason to thank the Lord, the more we'll have reason to praise the Lord, and the more it will naturally flow from an honest and heartfelt place. You might ask, again, with the Thessalonians we read just now, and it says, um, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. And that's really hard. It is a really, really hard thing to do. Paul tells the Thessalonians that God will, God's will for them is to be thankful. He just wants us to be thankful, growing up and showing gratitude and just being the person we're meant to be. What have we got to be thankful for, I wonder? I mean, you could point out very specific things. You could point out very general things. You know, I'm thankful for a lovely family, a roof over my head, all that sort of stuff. You know, you could look at the world today and say, really, is there anything actually we really can be thankful for? Is there anything left in this world that's worth being thankful for? We have clothes, don't we? We have food we can eat. We're free to come to church. I know that's said often from, from the pulpit, how lucky we are and how blessed we are and how, and it becomes a little bit sort of, dare I say it, woolly. We take a little bit for granted, maybe. But, you know, Europe's not far away. You can, you can get to these places in a, in a matter of hours on a flight and you wouldn't be able to step outside the door without being persecuted. You wouldn't be able to get out of bed without being in fear of somebody coming in and beating your door down. 
you know, you see some, some films and, and history teaches it, um, teaches us all about sort of World War II and the atrocities of this, and the atrocities of that. It's happening, it's happening today, it's happening in parts of the world, even now. I think we should always remember how lucky we are and how fortunate we are and how blessed we are and how protected we are to be able to come to a place freely, openly, by our own choice and without any sort of concern for our welfare in that respect. So what else have we got to be thankful for? What about something as simple as grace? God's grace. You think of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It didn't take long, if you go all the way back in history, all the way back as far as Genesis and the first few pages, it didn't take very long, let's be honest, for the human race to mess things up. You know, God created this perfect world, and a few verses later, sin's in, in the picture. You know, even back then, humans had managed to turn the world into a bit of a mess. But Noah was righteous, Noah was faithful, he was committed to walking with the Lord, even in the face of adversity. People were laughing, pointing, saying, what on earth are you doing building a boat in this place? Are you out of your mind? But God chose, chose Noah to show us to save him from the destruction that was to come, and that's grace. Abraham. Look at Abraham. He suffered doubt. You really, you know, I'm, I'm a really old man. You think you can give me a son now? Same as anybody else, I suppose. That's, you, you look at Abraham and sometimes think, oh, yeah, but trust in the Lord. But wouldn't we be in the same place if, if we were in his shoes? No. He lied. He said Sarah was his sister. Sarah herself, she doubted God. Just the same as anybody else. She said, you can't possibly give me a son in my old age. But through all this disbelief, through all the disobedience, if you will, in that respect, God still remained faithful, and he still provided, and that's grace, God's grace. Moses, Moses spent a fair portion of his life saying, no, I don't want to send somebody else, it's not me to do something, I don't send me, it's not about me. He was stubborn a little bit, maybe, maybe we could call him out there, but God stuck with him, stood by him, remained with him, stayed focused with him, held on to him, directed him, and led him down a path that he couldn't have imagined would have turned out. And of course, it's the whole of uh, the state of Israel was formed from that. God's grace. You know, God didn't turn his back on these people the moment they said no. God didn't turn away and say, oh, you're just being stubborn. Get out of my face. I'm going to go and find someone who, who will do it for me. You know, he, he loved these people and he knew exactly the plan for each and every one of them. And by his grace, he persevered with them. By his grace, he remained faithful to them. God's grace is the foundation upon which the gospel message is built. You know, before God created mankind, guess what? He knew exactly what was going to be happening. He knew we all had to be rescued from this thing called sin. The life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That wasn't God's backup plan. It wasn't his get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, absolutely everything, everything that happened from Adam's first breath in Genesis all the way through to Jesus' death, was part of God's great plan for humanity. Surely, that's enough. If nothing else, that's enough for us to be thankful for. If that's not enough, what about love? Something as pure and as innocent as love. Surely we can be thankful for the love we have in our lives, from loved ones, from families, from peers, for the love that Christ has for us. Perhaps the most obvious one in the Bible, I suppose, is love, but 
you know, since the very beginning, again, let's not, let's not take it out of context, let's not be flippant about what love means. Since the very beginning, God has shown his love to all of us, every single one of us. And this is another thing I don't get my head around sometimes. God loves every single living soul that walks the planet, whether or not they know him or not, whether or not they've accepted Jesus Christ or not, whether they're murderers, uh, you know, adulterers, whoever they may be, God loves them deeply and solely. If God can love someone like me, he can love someone like them. He can love someone like you. And here's the thing. How are we going to respond to that love? How do we choose to use that love? Do we choose to say, oh, that's nice, close the book and move on with our own lives in our own way, doing our own thing? Or do we respond in kind and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the love that you've shown me. Thank you for the provision that you've given me. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for me. We can still have that honest and true and live in an active relationship with the Lord. The Lord God who created everything, the omnipresent, almighty, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-living God wants to be part of our lives. And we can have that relationship if we accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross, our place is guaranteed through that, through that salvation. Our, our place in heaven is guaranteed. And it's a free gift. It's a free offering. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. A free, willing gift that anybody can pick up and anybody can have at any point in time. Is that something we can be thankful for? You know, the greatest story of love in the Bible, maybe the greatest story ever told, who knows, is summed up in, the, in that famous, famous verse. I often sort of take a bit of liberty and, and go over the most famous verses in the Bible because how often do we flick through these things or read them or see them on a screen or whatever it might be and think, oh, that's nice. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wonderful. Right. What next? Well, hang on, hang on. God so loved the world, all of us, everybody in the world, whoever we are, whatever baggage we're bringing, wherever we come from, whatever history we've got, whatever background we've got, God loved us so deeply that he gave the only thing he had as a son. That whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when I say he gave his son, he wasn't just born into the world to find some disciples and, and preach some, some rules and regulations to follow. He wasn't just put in the world to say, this is right and this is wrong. You know, he was hammered to a cross. He was nailed there. He was pinned to this tree for hours and hours until his soul just gave up. He endured agonies beyond what we can imagine. He endured pain beyond what we can even think about. And... The worst part of it all, maybe, the very people that he came to save, the very people he had his love for, the very people that not a week or two before were welcoming him with arms raised and shouts of glee, were the very people that were pinning him to the cross. 
Are we going to be thankful for that love? Are we going to be thankful for that gift? Are we going to be thankful for what he's provided? Or are we going to be as guilty as the soldiers themselves who are hammering in the nails? Are we just going to say, no, thank you. I can do it on my own. If that's not enough, and you want more examples of love, there's plenty of examples in the Bible. Go and, go and look it up. I suppose, um, perhaps not such an obvious one, is, is the life of David. Now, David was obviously um, planned and sort of destined for great things. But let's not forget where he came from. You know, he didn't, when, when he was sort of ordained as king, he went, he went through the whole family before they got to David. David was a shepherd. Perhaps not the lowest of the low, but pretty much down there with, with the, the society dregs. Out in the fields, in all weathers, and watching their flocks and running the sheep and, and keeping the land and so forth. There's roughly seven and a half billion-ish people in the earth today. And God sees each and every one as an individual. He singled me out as number one among 7.7 billion people. He singled you out as number one among 7.7 billion people. To say, this is your plan. This is the way you should walk. This is how you should, should be. This is what your best possible life can be if you choose it. As a youngster, David wasn't, wasn't up to much. But as soon as God's hand was upon him, as soon as he was ordained as king, he, he, read, read all about it. He went, went and sort of did mighty acts and incredible things. He wasn't free of troubles and he wasn't free of sin. He wasn't sort of some mighty sort of glowing celebrity star. But God loved him in such a way that he led him to great, great things. And that's no different love to the love he has for us. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So, if you haven't got anything to be thankful for, we can be thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ did many, many things. And I think perhaps the most spectacular and incredible thing was how humble he was and how honest he was. He loved his people and the people that were pinning him to the cross and the people that were cursing him and the people that were throwing things and, and spiking his, his crown on his head. And he loved them to the end. With his very last breath, he loved these people. With his very last breath, he loved me. With his very last breath, he loved you. I wonder how we want to take that. Do we want to say, yeah, that's great, thanks for that, brilliant, and toddle on our way. And just take on life as we do. It's Monday tomorrow, let's just crack on. Do we want to be thankful a bit more in our lives? Do we want to wait until perhaps Christmas is nearly here, you know, the Yadvits are coming out, I'll, I'll, I'll be a bit more thankful when, when we celebrate Christ's birth. But why do we not celebrate Christ's birth right now? Why don't we celebrate who Christ is right now? Why don't we be thankful for God's gift, free gift, right here and right now? Thankfulness, of course, isn't just about saying thank you. It's not just about praise and worship and all these different things. You know, thankfulness can sometimes come across in our actions 
by who we are, by what we do, by what we say. life, in work, I'm, we're always told, you know, be very, very careful what you say and be very, very careful how you, how you sort of relay this message because what you do has much more of an impact. You know, we're encouraged, we're, you know, we're asked in a Christian life to encourage each other, build each other up. And that's, let's be honest, that's not always easy because sometimes we come, you know, with our own problems and our own issues and we're living in our own sort of dark tunnel vision and we're not... We can't really be worried about anybody else's concern because that's like hard work. But going back to Paul and all the letters he wrote in the New Testament, Paul's letters to the multiple churches he wrote to, it reminds his friends and all of them how thankful he is for them. He started most of his letters by saying, I praise God for you, I give thanks to the Lord for you, I'm, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that. That's how he starts things. No matter what the... the sort of the meat of the, the messages, if you like, in, in the individual letter. The start of it is how grateful he is, how thankful he is. And usually, following some, some of this, the words of the encouragement and, and so forth and so on. And God can use this to share his love with other people, with the world, if you will, by just being gracious, showing support, showing gratitude. Yeah, I wonder, do we have enough evidence in our lives, I wonder, for people to say, oh, yeah, they're different. Oh yeah, he's a Christian, she's a Christian. They've got something in their lives because of the way they look after me, the way they look out for me, the way they love me, if you will. Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Edify one another, even as also we do. We're not meant to travel through life alone. We're not meant to walk this Christian path by ourselves. We're meant to do it together. I wonder then, in our, in our sort of thinking around this, how do we act around people? How do we create that sort of vision of thankfulness or that attitude of gratitude, as they call it? We're told time and time and time again from all sorts of areas in life how we should act, what we should say, how we should interact with those around us. You know, let's face it, life and the government and whoever, whoever is undermining, it really is contradictory. You know, you have to be accepting of everything, but you can't be a Christian. You know, we, we can be whoever you want to be, you, you can do whatever you want to do, but don't go to church. It's completely contradictory. You know, you have to take people as they are. You have to accept whoever this person is, but if you're a Christian, you're an outcast. It's interesting, um, I work for... Um, for the, as a civil servant, I work for the UK government indirectly. And there's a, there's a huge sort of ethos in agencies, government agencies, around networks. So you've got disability network, you've got cares network, you've got all sorts of networks for everything. You've got a faith network, which I sort of thought, oh, that's interesting. But a faith network is just a group where everybody comes together to say we can be whoever we want to be. You go into that network and say I'm a Christian, they don't know because suddenly... That, that's rules, that's regulations, that's things we have to do. That's, that's nothing, we're not interested. Life is complicated, life is difficult, life is contradictory. And there's nothing new, there's nothing new in any of this. 
You know, throughout all the Bible, since creation, people have simply ignored God and gone on and done what they wanted to do. You want the earliest example of that? You can look at Adam and Eve. I don't want to say Eve, I get connotations, but you know what I mean. Adam and Eve, the earliest, they said, actually, you know what? I know what God said, but I'll, I'll just do it anyway. And look what happened. Israel, through all, there's loads of books about Israel in the Bible, loads of verses, loads of chapters. And what do they do? We're praising the Lord, we're praising the Lord, everything's great, and then I'm going to go and do my own thing, and everything's bad again. I'm going to go and do my own thing, and everything doesn't work out. There's nothing new in any of this. It's just nothing new. Um, and then people wonder then, well, what's gone wrong? Why didn't it work out? Why didn't these things happen? Because you left God out of the picture. You know, through years and years and years and years of history, no lessons have been learned. Nothing is new. Nothing has changed in that respect. So, should we be thankful? Absolutely we should be thankful. We should be thankful as often and as regularly and as much as we possibly can for everything. Thankful for what we have. Thankful for where we are. Thankful for what we're doing. Thankful that God's carrying us when things are bad. When we're not going through the, the mountaintops. When we're not in the right places. When we're not perhaps doing the right things. Thankful that God never leaves us. Never forsakes us. You know, we could suddenly get up tomorrow morning and say, you know what, pff, I'm going to spend this week doing whatever I want to do. I'm not going to pay any attention to anybody else. I'm going to do my own thing. I can guarantee you this. It probably wouldn't work out. But even so, you'll still find God at the end of it. God will not just walk away and say, fine, get on with it. He'll wait for you to come back. Not everyone is gifted to speak to the masses of people. Not everyone wants to you know, speak in stadiums and churches. Not everyone's gifted to guide children and preach in Sunday school. You know, not everyone's can sing or is comfortable being in front of, as a choir, in front of people. But, here's the thing. Everyone, without exception, every single one of us has been asked, and I underline asked, by God to tell people about him. Spread the word. Spread the gospel. Live the life we're intended to live. Everyone can speak to someone. Everyone can just live and act and be who God wants them to be. And that in itself can be an act of thankfulness. I wonder how do people look at us? Are we different? Do we have lives that are more fulfilling? Or are we just living the same life as everybody else with a little bit of a twist on a Sunday? We can be thankful for what we have. Of course we can. That's the, the obvious things. We can choose to stop there. Say, thank you, Lord. I'm very pleased you've given me all this stuff. I'm very happy I'm in the right place, doing the right thing. I'm off now. I leave it at that. Or we can perhaps show how thankful we are simply by listening, acting on his words, being the person we're supposed to be, living happier, more contented lives by living for him as well as with him. I wonder, can we go into the week ahead with a bit of a thankful heart and a thankful outlook on life? Not just for what we've got, perhaps, but for who we are. Maybe we can go and be thankful for the lives we lead. Maybe we can go be thankful for the people we meet. Maybe we can show people just a little bit more of a glimpse of who Christ is and what he means to us in our lives by how we encourage them, by how we embrace them, how we approach them, how we speak to them. I wonder, can we show thankfulness in what we do in as much as what we say? 
So as we look the week ahead, are there times when we're going to think, oh, I really don't want to go to that particular meeting. I really want to speak to that particular person. I really don't want to have to deal with this particular situation. Or can we say, right, Lord, this is going to be hard. I need you more there than I do the rest of the week. And then when we come through that difficult patch, we can be thankful for that. So many different things we could do, so many different things we could be. Let's pray that uh, we'll find some form of thankfulness in it and we can, we can be closer to the Lord for it and we can be more thankful for, for what he's provided through it this week. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, once again for this day and this time together. And I just pray now that we would come to your word with a bit more sort of openness, Lord, and read the context of these verses and read, read the meaning behind some of these, these things that we read, that we don't just approach the Bible on a quick reference when we need to or a quick glimpse of, of what we need to find when we're in trouble. Help us, I pray, that we would be thankful for who you are. We would be thankful for what you do and we would be thankful for all that you provide. Lord, it's hard for us sometimes to be thankful in every situation and all the time. Sometimes we're doing, facing our battles and going through unimaginable things, things we can't even imagine how we're going to get through on our own. Help us to understand that simple fact. We don't need to go through it on our own. Help us, Lord, to bring more things before you in our times of trouble, in our times of weariness, in our times of pain even. We might lay them at you in full and certain knowledge that not only are you listening, but you will answer, you will guide, you will carry, you will help us. Help us, Lord, just to have that confidence and that desire to, to know you more, to walk closely with you more, and to be thankful more. You bless the week ahead and our time together, the remainder of this time this day. In Jesus' name, to his glory we ask. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Brian, who will take us through our communion. Shall we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we meet around this table, help us, help us sincerely, Lord, to be more and more and more aware of that amazing sacrifice that was made for each and every one of us. Oh, it's so easy to be flippant, Lord. To just view the cross as, yes, it's something that happened, but what an amazing thing it was that happened. Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins. As Alistair's mentioned, for each and every one, for those who have turned their back on you, Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so, so grateful. And as we meet now, may our hearts and minds be open to the significance of this wonderful celebration. Amen.
As Alistair spoke then, he mentioned a couple of things. First of all, give thanks always. That's a very special word, always. And he also mentioned harvest. Now, what's that got to do with the, the communion table? With harvest, it is a public, a church celebration, a collective celebration of giving thanks to the Lord. But we're encouraged to give thanks each and every day in our prayer life, in our Bible study, giving thanks for his goodness to us. And so the, the table with all its elements this is special. It is a public celebration, a public service to demonstrate our love for the Lord, our thanks to the Lord for all he has done for us, that amazing sacrifice. But it shouldn't be just once a month that our minds are reminded of that fact. It should be every morning as we kneel in prayer. It should be every day, that realization of what this is all about. It's not a monthly thing. Yes, it is a precious time together. It's a fellowship time together. Celebrating, remembering those events together. But as we've been reminded on so many occasions, these are simply elements, representative elements. And so we will together take the, the bread and the cup and celebrate that, that amazing event, that horrendous event we sometimes find it almost unimaginable to think of what happened on the cross, cross at Calvary. The body that was broken, the blood that was shed. But as we take these elements, may our hearts and minds be open to those facts. As Julian ask a, a blessing on the, on the bread. Pray now, Lord, that you'll accept our uh, heartfelt thanks, Lord, our eternal thanks for all that uh, was achieved on that cross on our behalf, Lord, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ being nailed to that cross, being uh, bruised and battered and spat upon him, uh, the abuse that he took uh, all for us, uh, for each and every one of us, Lord. And, uh, he would have done it for us individually if we had been the only person mm -hmm. who needed salvation. Yeah. And so great is, is the love that was shown on that cross. And so, Lord, as we take of the bread, we just pray that we'll remember uh, that it represents the body of the Lord Jesus and the way that he was abused and, uh, and, and broken in that way. <coughs> and we just pray now, Lord, that you'll accept our thanks for that. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. That the Lord Jesus 
the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. This do, this do in remembrance of me. I shall take the bread. Thank you.